everyone, welcome back to Let's Talk Physical Media. My name is John. I'll be hosting on my own this week, like I will be for most weeks, but sometimes I might have a guest on here. Who knows? Faith might pop in and out. We don't know, but either way, you get your handsome host here all ready to go, and we like to start off every single show of Let's Talk Physical Media with the news, and this week's news app... And this week, we actually got a bunch of news, a bunch of loaded stuff that's going to really make us happy. And the first one that really came out of nowhere, I mean, I guess it didn't come out of nowhere, but it was a big surprise because I really didn't believe the rumors. And that is Prey is coming to 4K. This came out last year on Hulu. It was done by 20th Century Studios. So everyone just assumed that this would never get a physical release, that it would always just be stuck on Hulu. Plus, you know, the mouse is in charge of this one, so we really didn't expect them to ever release this on 4K, even though the physical media market has been asking for it the fans have been asking for it it's definitely considered already at this point the second best predator film it's not going to be able to reach the heights of those arms from the original predator film you know jesse the body of ventura carl weathers and arnold schwarzenegger those arms you just can't replace those in prey but prey is a great film on its own and we definitely deserve this 4k release and now we just got to support them because if we show the mouse that we're buying these on 4k swooping them up that means that we might get more films on 4k and one film that i really want on 4k or at least on blu-ray that's stuck also on hulu is palm springs which starred andy sandberg and, and kristen miliotti that came out i believe also last year actually no it came out during the pandemic i think that was actually 2020 but that was one of my favorite films of that year i thought that movie was hysterical you're dealing with the Groundhog Day tropes where the days just keep repeating over and over again. I absolutely love that. So anytime you're stuck in a time loop, those movies speak to me. But this one was really funny. I'm hoping that maybe if Prey does good, we'll get some more of these movies stuck behind the streaming wall on 4K. People have been asking for Barbarian that's right now stuck on Max. We've been asking for that. And then a movie I've been asking for since it came out was The Empty Man. I would love a release of The Empty Man on Blu-ray or 4K because that's a horror movie that doesn't deserve to just be stuck on streaming. That movie is too good to not be seen by everyone. So hopefully those movies eventually get their own physical releases. But we got to support the physical media market to show these studios that... We will come out and buy these films as long as you release them. And then we also got announcements for November's Criterion Collection releases. And I was kind of tipped off to one of these beforehand, and that was Mean Streets coming to 4K. But either way, I am so pumped for that. We're getting another Martin Scorsese classic in 4K from the Criterion Collection. The last couple we've gotten, which are Raging Bull and After Hours on 4K, have both been phenomenal transfers. And Mean Streets is really the one that put Martin Scorsese on the map. That was his first big hit, his first big mob movie from the 1970s, put Robert De Niro and Harvey Keitel on the map. Robert De Niro really plays just a loose cannon in this movie. One of his first great performances. I absolutely love this movie. It's very raw and gritty 1970s New York. It's not as polished as a lot of other Martin Scorsese's movies would become, but, you know, you really see the origins of the guy. You get the needle drops in here, the Rolling Stones. It's all there. Mean Streets is a movie that I cannot wait to see how they clean up on 4K. Every version of this film I've seen before has looked rough, which kind of always added to the charm of Mean Streets, so I'm a little worried about how it's going to look in beautiful, stunning 4K and Dolby Vision that they announced, so I'm definitely really excited about that. And guys, our patience has paid off. 
The Last Picture Show is coming to 4K solely in the Criterion Collection, which makes me very happy because last year it was released on 4K through the Columbia Classics Volume 3 release, and I thought Columbia Classics Volume 3 had the weakest releases as far as films. It was very weak compared to Volume 1 and 2. Volume 1 was the best, Volume 2 was, you know, second best, and then Volume 3, just only the only movie I wanted in that entire collection was The Last Picture Show. So I'm really happy to have Peter Bogdanovich's classic from the 1970s, the movie that probably put Jeff Bridges on the map, on 4K and through the Criterion Collection. That means it should be loaded with extras. Now, I'm sure that the Columbia Classics Volume 3 set also was loaded with extras, and I'm sure that was a great transfer, but I just couldn't justify spending over $100 just to get one of the six films in there. You know, it was really hard even with Volume 2, but Volume 2 at least had Taxi Driver, Stripes, and The Social Network, and Anatomy of a Murder, so... There was a good amount on Volume 2 to actually justify me picking that up. And for the most part, we don't really get solo releases for films that are released in the Columbia Classics Collection. So it's really awesome that we actually finally are getting that movie on its own. Then we're getting Terrence Malick's 1970s classic, Days of Heaven, which I believe stars Richard Gere. This is actually one I haven't seen from Terrence Malick. Terrence Malick makes some of the most beautiful-looking films you'll ever see. I'm looking at movies like The Thin Red Line. My favorite film from him is Still Badlands, starring Martin Sheen and uh, Sissy Spacek from the... I believe that... I think that might have been either his first movie, or that might have been the movie that put Terrence Malick on the map. I still think that's his best film, and that score in that movie is pretty much identical to the score in True Romance, so I do love Badlands. And then another movie that people don't really like, uh, Tree of Life, that came out in 2011, starring Brad Pitt and Jessica Chastain. I thought that movie is probably a masterpiece. Sean Penn's in that as well. I know a lot of people feel like that movie's very pretentious. A lot of his movies do come off very pretentious and a little bit snooty. Snooty. Snooty? Snotty. Snotty. But they always look beautiful. And I'm very excited to see Days of Heaven on 4K because I haven't seen it before. And I'm sure that this movie will translate so well to the 4K platform just because of the kinds of movies that Terrence Malick makes. At least they're going to look beautiful. Even if the story can sometimes be, you know, very self-indulgent, very self-involved. And, you know, very much, you know, kind of catering to a certain audience that might not love those types of movies. And I'll admit, I'm very 50-50 on his work. Sometimes I'm just like, okay, come on. You're really there just to satisfy yourself here on some of this stuff. But it always looks great. He always puts all of the stuff on the screen for you to see and to appreciate. So I cannot take that away from it. Days of Heaven, I hear, is a fantastic film. I'm finally glad to check off my list of movies that I need to see before I die. So I'm definitely looking forward to that one. We also got a nice Jackie Chan collection announced, which is awesome because I know how many people love Jackie Chan and love all of his movies. So we're getting a bunch of those coming out. A nice collection from the Criterion Collection. So that's great for all the martial arts fans out there. Jackie Chan is probably the most famous martial artist only behind Bruce Lee. But Jackie Chan, you know, what he did with film cannot be understated. He even brought it all the way to the States and he became an even bigger star once the Rush Hour movies or Shanghai Noon came out. And Jackie Chan, even he was just recently voicing a character in TMNT. He voiced Splinter. He's still working today. He's one of our most beloved actors. I know so many people who love Jackie Chan. And, I mean, I know so many people who consider Rush Hour one of their favorite films ever. I mean, Chris Tucker and Jackie Chan had chemistry that nobody saw coming. We got three movies out of that. And the fourth film is also supposedly on the way. We'll see. I hope it comes. You know, I, I really do miss Chris Tucker. Every time he pops up, which is very rare, I always appreciate him. That's why when I saw him in air earlier this year, I was like, ah, oh, man, there he is. And he was making jokes. And I was like, there's the old Chris Tucker that I love. 
Glad to see him back. And then, you know, I got a little off topic there. We are talking about Jackie Chan. But, yeah, that Jackie Chan collection is coming. So everyone should be pretty excited about that, especially if you're a Jackie Chan fan. And the last one on the list is La Ceremonie, which I believe I'm pronouncing wrong because there's a couple accents over some letters. So I think I'm pronouncing that wrong. But that's one I've never seen. So I'll, maybe I'll grab that one in a sale. But that's not one I'll be grabbing right away to review. A lot of the, you know, between October and November, I'm going to have no money. There is so much good stuff coming out for sports. Spooky season, and then November we start to get the Christmas releases, all these studios gearing up for Christmas season, Hanukkah, all the holidays coming up in December. They want to make sure they put their best foot forward, and they want to put out some of their prime releases in time for Christmas. I mean, Mean Streets is a big deal. I really can't understate how much of a big deal Mean Streets is, and Prey on 4K is another big deal, especially in time for Spooky season. Everyone is going to be excited for that. I mean, we got Rosemary's Baby, The Exorcist coming out this year, the Psycho films on 4K, the Hell Hellraiser, whatever the hell, quad trilogy of whatever the hell it's called of movies, the first four Hellraiser movies on 4K. We really are getting spoiled this season. I just still want the Nightmare on Elm Street films on 4K. That's the only thing that's really missing in the horror genre. We got all the Child's Play films. We got Poltergeist on 4K. Oh, we need The Ring on 4K, too. That's another one that I want to make sure people don't forget about because that does need a 4K release. And that movie is shot so beautifully. How has that not gotten a 4K release? Explain that to me. It's The Ring! Do people not remember how popular The Ring was in 2002? I remember. Everybody was talking about it. What happened? Is it because The Ring 2 was that bad? It's nobody's fault that they put a CGI deer in The Ring 2 except for the people who made The Ring 2. That movie is atrocious. Let's just pretend it doesn't exist. And I think most of us had already forgotten that Rings came out a few years ago. So thankfully... Let's just pretend that the ring ended with the ring, all right? We'll always have the J-horror stuff that was much more successful, but the ring is still a stone-cold classic, and we need the ring on 4K. But we really are going to be getting spoiled as physical media fans go this October and November, so hopefully those wallets have plenty of money in them. Mine is completely empty, so I'm going to have to whip out the old credit card to buy some of this stuff, which is no problem for me. I've never been ashamed to ruin my credit in the past, so why not? Let's keep doing it. Let's keep it going. We got to fill these shelves up. I'm really excited for a lot of this stuff to review on the channel. I mean, I can't wait to talk to you guys about Rosemary's Baby on 4K. I hope it's a good transfer. I don't think it's getting the same kind of hype as The Exorcist, but it really should because Rosemary's Baby is a fantastic horror film. One of the greatest ever. Roman Polanski's second masterpiece, only behind Chinatown. But anyway, we got a lot of questions this week. A lot of it always pertaining to physical media, so we're going to use that as some jumping off points for the rest of the show, so let's dive right into those. And the first one comes from the 17th year Blu-ray collector, or as his YouTube name says, at Gladiator 006 Maximum which is a reference to 2000's Gladiator. Are you excited about Gladiator 2? I don't know how I feel about that. What is the weird and bizarre movie you've seen that was so weird you had no words? Well, the movie that traumatized me most came from a request from Uncle V. It's one of our oldest videos on the channel. Me, Matt, and Paige. Paige actually did a couple videos with us at the very beginning. You can go all the way back. I think it's in like our first five videos. But he wanted us to watch the movie, a Serbian film. Now, me and Matt had never, me, Matt, or Paige had never heard of this film. We had no idea what we were getting into. So, you know, we sat down. We even were all going to take notes. Like, okay, we're going to watch a horror film. Let's analyze this like we analyze any other film. About 10 minutes in we tossed all our notepads to the side and we're like what the fuck is going on in this movie one of the most uncomfortable strange movies you'll ever watch that movie left permanent scars on my mind i still think about that movie i tell people all the time like oh did you see this movie it was it was so fucked up i was like 
No, 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 no. You don't know what messed up is until you've seen a Serbian film. That movie, the fact that movie exists alone is really scary to me because that movie, no other movie has ever left me feeling dirty and disgusting. Maybe The Last House on the Left, but at least that's a little bit more mainstream. A Serbian film, they really go for it, and I don't think they should have gone there. So that movie definitely is the most weird and bizarre film that just left me in awe after seeing it. And a movie that I saw, what, at the beginning of last year, January, February last year, that I can't even escape my mind because it's just that crazy. I, I don't even know if I can recommend it to you guys to watch unless you really are into that kind of, like, shock horror. And really, that's what they were going for. The director really wanted to make the most messed up and screwed up movie he could imagine. And he nailed it. Definitely nailed that. That'll be his legacy. That's for damn sure. And... You know, you gotta ask the million-dollar Jurassic Park question. You only thought if you could, but you never thought if you should. And I really don't know if you should've. But you know what? You made a, a fan out of me? I don't know. I keep bringing it up. I I, I just... Uh, I don't know. I don't know. It's a weird one. Um, see it at your own risk, I guess, is the best way to put that. But thanks for that great question. If you could travel back to the 1950s... What three things would you take with you? Uh, well, the first thing I'm taking with me is this beautiful OLED TV to my left. I don't know how I'm going to bring it with me. I'll make some kind of backpack mechanism for it. But this is coming with me along with my 4K player, the two of them. And then I guess I'm taking a bunch of 4Ks with me, so that's going to get really annoying. So I don't know how I'm going to do that. Maybe I'll just take the TV and I'll stream there. They don't have internet. Ah, uh, wow, I have to really think this stuff through. So I'm taking this in the player. They should still have old outlets back then that work with electricity. I don't know how the world was doing in 1950s. I know it's the early days of TV. Uh, t televisions in the homes were not a common thing yet. And color TV wouldn't become more prominent until the 1970s. And then I'm also going to be grabbing a sports almanac because I did see Back to the Future 2. So I'm taking that with me. I'm going to get rich. I'm going to make sure that people... I'm going to take this to a bunch of scientists so they can explore the technology. I will become the biggest TV creator of all time. Once people realize this, and then I come back to 2023, I should be the richest person in the world on the biggest corporation that the world has ever seen. Forget Amazon, Apple, and Disney. All you're going to be hearing about is John Keefe TVs, the best TVs you've ever seen. TVs that feel immersive, because you know why? I brought it to them. I brought them OLEDs. Even if I didn't create the OLEDs, I brought this one there. But if I have to just take stuff, like maybe a little bit more compartmentalized stuff, maybe something that can just travel with me, I guess I would probably have to, I mean, do you take your smartphone? I feel like they, but you know what? You won't have service. It'll be completely useless. This is just going to be a paperweight in, 2000, in 1955. So you really got to think of like what is going to be practical then. Like a lot of this stuff is just not going to make sense in the 1950s. You will be a god to them because they are not going to understand how you have the stuff that you have. It's just going to be really hard for me not to take my entire movie collection back in time with me. But I'm going to tell them about whatever movie is coming out at the end of the year. I'll give them my review ahead of time. Be like, oh, you're going to love this one. And then they're going to be like, holy shit, that's the greatest movie critic ever. He knew how good this movie was before anyone. <laughs> Imagine showing up in the 1950s before Touch of Evil came out. They would be shocked if you told them that Orson Welles puts out yet another classic. That's probably what I'm taking back with me. I have to take my TV. You know, I don't have great eyes. I'm not going to work well in the 1950s with their TVs. It just, you know, black and white, all fuzzy, you know, with the rabbit ears on top. I can't do it. I can't. I have to take my 41-inch LG OLED with me. This is my prized possession of my left. Even though I have a 77-inch OLED, I still prefer my 41-inch just because 
I could sit closer to it. I don't have the best of eyes. And this is my baby. So this is coming with me. I can't live without it. All right. Thanks, Kevin. That's Kevin's first question. And we're moving on to the next one. And this one is from Planet Bazaar. What is a weird older movie that isn't supposed to be scary but feels eerie and makes you uneasy? I wouldn't say that this movie made me feel eerie, but it definitely made me feel uneasy. And it's not even like it's just a cut of a movie. So Leon the Professional has two cuts. It has the theatrical cut and then it has the extended cut. Now, the extended cut is the is the version that they really wanted you to see. The problem is with the extended cut, it's really exploring a little bit more of Leon and Matilda's relationship. Matilda's played by Natalie Portman and Leon is played by Jean Renault. And there's a big age gap between the two of them. You know, she's about like, I think, 14 years old. And it's kind of talking a little bit about how the director met his wife who does appear in this movie he met her when she was i think 14 or 15 years old and they eventually got married he cheated on his first wife with her so that makes it a little bit more eerie and you know just the fact that like their relationship it never goes sexual but it has like sexual like overtones or undertones to it where you know it feels like it like they want to go there now matilda's making all the moves on him because she just doesn't have a grasp on reality correctly you know she really lives her life through film and tv and that's kind of how she perceives the world so she thinks as a woman this is what you're supposed to do with a man now Jean Renault the entire time is pushing her away and saying no but they do have a very close relationship they even share a bed at one point in the extended cut now all of that stuff is cut out of the theatrical cut that one is really just a concentrating on more of a friendship and how he's training her to become an assassin like he is so i always say stay steer clear of the director's cut and just watch the theatrical cut i did get some pushback that, on that on twitter though because i had people saying you know that's kind of just like an american thing to feel uncomfortable with that in countries like france that's more accepted you know like having that big age gap and you know that's kind of what the director was saying to begin with was you know this is just something that's not normalized here in america but i can't lie and say that it doesn't make me feel uncomfortable to see those scenes and if it was up to me i would say just watch the theatrical cut avoid that because it did make me feel a little bit dirty after watching that if i'm being a bit honest with you guys watch leon the professional because i still think that that is a 1994 classic film that i absolutely love just don't watch the extended cut believe me if you want to try it once and see what i'm talking about give it a try maybe you like it maybe you think i'm way off base on this one wouldn't be the first time so definitely check that one out but if you're gonna be checking it out make sure you check it out on that 4k because it is a big improvement over the blu-ray and thank you for that i really do appreciate that question and the next kevin l question is what is the most embarrassing moment of your life well, there's actually a couple of them, and most of them revolve around me falling in very public places. Uh, when I was in sixth grade, I believe this was 2002, it was about just after 9-11, so the Statue of Liberty was still kind of shut down. You couldn't really go in there, but we took a field trip to Ellis Island and to the Statue of Liberty, and there was a big flight of stairs. I mean, we all went there, the entire sixth grade class. It's like 400 of us, if I'm correct. I can't remember correctly. I mean, I can't remember 100%, but there was a big flight of stairs outside, a uh, very windy day, and I lost my footing, and I fell down the entire flight of stairs. I mean, it was a lot of stairs. I even at one point hit a flat spot and somehow kept rolling, and I mean, by the end of it, it was really bad, and everyone actually thought that my aunt Stephanie pushed me down the stairs so that created a very awkward moment as well so not only was I embarrassed but now everyone thinks my aunt pushed me down the stairs so it was just it was very traumatizing it's something I will never forget I know my aunt's still traumatized by it as well just because you know they thought she pushed me down the stairs of the Statue of Liberty so you can't really get more embarrassing than that 
But another one for me, very similar situation. If you guys have ever seen the back of like a supermarket or a Walmart or something like that, they have those loading docks that they back up the tractor trailers into. And then to the left of the doors is usually just a regular door for human beings to walk down a flight of stairs. But they're very close together. And I remember I, I worked at a supermarket in my life and all that stuff, but I was, I don't remember why I was at a supermarket at this time. For some reason I was there and the loading docks were all open and so was the door. So they all kind of just look like the same kind of door. So I walked over to one of the loading docks and I was expecting the stairs to be there. So I took one step off and then I did about a 10 foot drop straight to the ground. I mean, I'm in front of everyone also. And I had to pretend like I wasn't in excruciating pain. <laughs> I've broken every single bone in my hand. I sprained my arm. I was a mess all cut up. I was just incoherent at the moment just because I, I first of all, it was complete shock. I just put my foot out expecting stairs. Instead, I fell face first into the freaking ground. So that really came out of nowhere. And then, you know, you try and gain your, you try and regain your composure because you don't want everyone there to like be laughing at you. And, you know, first they're concerned. And then once they see you're okay, you know, then they all start laughing. Like, how could you do that? What a fucking moron. And I'm thinking, yeah, what a fucking moron. I think I need to go to the hospital though, because I'm in a lot of pain right now. Ah, they're surely broken. I did not expect to fall head first into the ground. Can somebody take me somewhere to get some help? Meanwhile, I'm getting laughed at. I'm, you know, you're trying to cover it up because you're just really embarrassed. Who expects to fall that fast to the ground? I sure didn't. Um, I've fallen down many a flight of stairs in my life, so that's not really something that's uncommon. It's been a while, though. It's been since I've fallen down a full flight of stairs. You know, every once in a while, I'll trip and fall down my back stairs, but it's only like three or four steps. No big deal. But since I fell down a full flight, it's been a few months. Been a few months. Might have to go to an office building and rectify that situation. So thank you, Kevin. That's a great question. Always love to talk about the embarrassing moments in my life. And believe me, there are plenty. I can make a top 10 list out of that one. But I think those are my top two just because it's always embarrassing to fall in front of people. Who likes to fall on their face in front of people? Yeah, you always try and do that thing where you just get back up. Oh, God, no, I planned that. It was all a big joke. I didn't mean... I Fall? What? <laughs> and this one is from Rogue1677, and he asks, What is the most uncomfortable movie you've ever seen? So I kind of answered that already with a Serbian film. I thought that that was probably the most uncomfortable movie I've ever seen. Same thing with Leon the Professional's Extended Cut. That was a very uncomfortable movie as well. But I have had other movies that have left me feeling a little bit like... Oh, man, I don't know if I'm enjoying this. This feels weird. Dario Argento's Phenomena I watched earlier this year for the first time on 4K. I don't really know what was going on in that movie still. I really have a hard time telling you what the plot of that film is. It's a beautiful looking movie, but there are so many scenes with bugs in that movie, and bugs just make me really uncomfortable. I actually have a hard time with movies like Eight-Legged Freaks or Arachtophobia. Arachtophobia, the entire time I'm watching that movie... I am extremely uncomfortable watching that. Anytime you include bugs or an overwhelming amount of bugs in a movie, for me, that's it. I cannot handle that. So arachnophobia, the entire time I'm watching that movie, I'm just very uncomfortable. But Phenomena had that same exact experience with a bunch of bugs. So anytime there's an overwhelming amount of bugs in a movie, that's really going to be the thing that pushes me away. I just... I, I can't handle bugs, even in real life. I, I'm not a big fan. I'm not a, even bees. Like people are like, oh, bumblebees, they're not really there to harm you. I will scream like a girl and run off anywhere to get away from the bee. I just do not like bugs. Other than flying, that's probably my biggest fear, or just bugs in general. I mean, ants don't really do it for me. Like, I don't really get too scared of them. I get it. They're just there to do their jobs. 
But most other bugs, I feel like they're there to kill me. Even when like superhero films like Blue Beetle or something and their character is based on a bug, I'm like, I don't know how I feel about this. Why are you relating to bugs? Like even when movies like Silence of the Lambs, when they're cutting the bug open, I think that is more uncomfortable for me than watching Hannibal Lecter eat somebody's face. It's just that's just kind of how my mind is. I really just think bugs are gross. So really, anytime a movie is involving bugs in the plot or the story, especially if the whole movie revolves around them, so I'd probably say Arachnophobia is probably the most uncomfortable film I've ever seen. Uh, I like to actually go back to it, as weird as that sounds, just because I don't really get scared much, especially of like regular horror films that people get scared of. Like no movie really scares me. Like like I don't get scared of The Exorcist. I don't get scared of like any kind of movie that's there to really get under your skin. Any kind a religious horror movie that just doesn't do it for me a slasher doesn't scare me i'm not worried about a serial killer but i'll tell you what i am worried about a swarm of bugs coming after me so anytime a movie revolves themselves around bugs even eight legged freaks which is just a comedy i mean a david arquette comedy i enjoy that movie young scarlett johansson by the way in that seeing the gigantic bugs that would scare the fucking shit out of me i'm leaving earth i i don't want to be alive anymore if there's giant eight-legged spiders walking around I won't do it. So that for me is definitely really high up on my personal list as far as movies. So I think Arachnophobia, as weird as that might sound, because that's a Frank Marshall film. And, you know, if you've ever seen Frank Marshall act, you know, he's a very lighthearted, funny guy. He's brother of Penny Marshall. So, you know, you get how that family works. And, you know, he directed Arachnophobia. It's just, I guess I have Arachnophobia. I don't know. <laughs> but I do not like bugs. So for me, that is definitely the most uncomfortable film. So thank you for that great question. And the next one is from Stuart George. And Stuart George has his own channel on YouTube here called Stuart George's Home Movies. Definitely check that one out. He does great work over there. I'm really enjoying what he's doing. He does a lot of unboxings. And I, I really appreciate it. He's a cool guy. Definitely check out his channel if you're not subscribed to that yet. And he asks, what are my top three spaghetti westerns? I'm a huge western fan. If you're a huge fan of westerns, that means you're a fan of spaghetti westerns. And, you know, a spaghetti western is an Italian western film. Obviously, this is where Clint Eastwood really took off before Dirty Harry. This is really what made him famous. And just because he worked with Sergio Leone for so long, when he started making his own westerns, you feel like they took a lot from the Sergio Leone westerns. And my favorite western of all time is Unforgiven, which isn't a spaghetti western, but it's got got Clint Eastwood directing and starring in it. You can tell the inspiration came from Spaghetti Westerns. But another big aspect of Spaghetti Westerns is their epic scope and those zoomed-in shots on sweaty faces. You know, the, they make the Old West look dirty and disgusting, really coming off of the movies that really, you know, the white hat versus the black hat. They don't make the West look as scary and as dirty as it is. You know, think about what the West would be. It, you know, you're really fending for yourself. You got to worry about someone coming into your town and just wiping you out. Even just getting food has got to be hard. You're in the desert, the heat. Maybe you're living in the mountains. Like, Spaghetti Westerns really tackle the nastiness of the Old West. And they really weren't doing that until you got Sergio Leone and, and Sergio Corbucci. So those, really, they're the two big ones, I think, as far as Spaghetti Westerns go. And my top three Spaghetti Westerns came from them. My number three would be The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. I really like the Dollars trilogy a lot, but for my money, The Good, The Bad, The Ugly is the best one. That's the third one in the trilogy. You know, they're kind of loosely connected. The Man With No Name kind of has the same path throughout, but by The Good, Bad, The Ugly, we had really mastered the entire way of doing this. You get the Nino Morricone score in there, the most iconic score ever, probably. One that you, you know, it's spoofed and satired on Nicktoons. I knew this from, I think, Hey Arnold or Rugrats or something before I even saw The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. And then The Good, The Bad, The Ugly, it is a masterpiece. It's been talked about over and over again. 
I love this movie. I think it's definitely the third best spaghetti western ever made. And then Sergio Carbucci's The Great Silence. That from, I believe, 1960. I believe it's 1968. Uh, He also directed Django, which is another great spaghetti western that I absolutely love. And I still haven't gotten the 4K. And I heard that that 4K is really one of the best out there. Some people actually put it as the best 4K ever made Django. I don't know why I haven't grabbed it yet. I think it's because when it first came out, I had literally just gone down a Carbucci rabbit rabbit hole and watched a bunch of his movies. That's how I actually found The Great Silence, which takes place in the Old West, but it also takes place in the snow. The snow plays such a big part of it. And the movie itself really builds up to such a fantastic third act and a great conclusion. I'm not going to spoil it here for you. I really didn't expect it, but I just love The Great Silence. And, you know, they really, again, they just tackle the West perfectly. And then at number one, which I think is Sergio Leone's masterpiece, once upon a time in the west i've been waiting for this movie to come to 4k forever charles bronson henry fonda i mean henry fonda playing a villain of all things in this movie the best score one of the top three scores i have ever heard because it's not just the movie it it draws you in emotionally it looks beautiful it sounds incredible and this movie came out in the 1960s it's a damn masterpiece that is obviously the best spaghetti western of all time my second favorite western ever made only behind unforgiven i would love once upon a time in the west to get a 4k release it absolutely deserves it it's a fantastic film and that score, man, I really can't undersell how good the score is. And just seeing Henry Fonda play a villain, you know, that really was America's sweetheart. The guy from Casablanca is playing a villain. Obviously, Charles Bronson always plays a badass. You know, he plays Harmonica in this one. And, you know, you care about his character. You really do. And what he went through. And we find out what the hell happened to him at the end of this movie. And you're like, damn, I know why he wants his revenge now. Makes all the sense in the world. So thank you, Stuart. I hope I answered your question. I really do appreciate that, buddy. And everyone else, definitely check out his channel. He does some good work over there. Kevin L. asks, what's your favorite kill from the following movies? So for Child's Play 3, I have Chucky's death and that fan thing. So Chucky's death, actually, because I have questions about how Chucky dies. Now, Chucky's a doll. I get that his consciousness is transferred into the doll, and I don't know how that works. But apparently, it also gives him organs. Because when he goes through into this fan thing at the very end of the film, he explodes and blood is flying everywhere. And I'm like, I don't know if that would happen. I guess when you get your consciousness transferred to a doll, um, that means that eventually you are going to be a human as well, just in a doll form. I don't know. Got a lot of questions about that. Always wondered why blood came out of a doll. So I have to still go with that kill. Child's Play 3, I think, is actually one of the weakest in the original trilogy. It is the weakest in the original trilogy, but it's still better than C to Chucky overall. And it's probably down near the bottom in the franchise. It's still good, but the time jump and the fact that it came out less than a year after Child's Play 2... It just makes no sense. Halloween 4, I have Kelly's death. That's the daughter of the one cop in this movie. And because it's an homage to the first Halloween movie, just a little bit more gory. In the first Halloween movie, you know how Michael Myers pins the guy to the wall. There's no gore in it. But in this movie, we see the stake or whatever the hell that is go through her entire body. And then she's pinned on the wall. So Halloween 4, I always felt like was took a lot of cues from the original Halloween movie. It's like they wanted to bring Halloween to the 80s. Turn up the gore a little bit. Make it a little bit more fast-paced. You know, we sprinkle a little bit of cocaine on that one and we put it out to the world. And I love Halloween 4. I think it's honestly one of the best in the franchise. And that kills the best one in that. 
Nightmare on Elm Street 5. I just rewatched this movie. Um, I used to like this movie more until I rewatched it this time. I'm like, this plot is a little bit incoherent. Uh, Freddy's banging out one-liners like crazy. And the best death scene in this movie is this motorcycle scene on the highway. And while he's doing the killing, he just won't stop banging out one-liner after one-liner. It's still the best kill in the movie. But I do think that A Nightmare on Elm Street 5 is one of the weaker movies in the entire franchise. Feels the need for speed. Final Destination 2. Now, there is a lot in this one. Uh, the opening scene is iconic. Obviously, a lot of us are still scared to drive behind trucks hauling trees just because of what happens in this movie. Sets off one of the worst car accidents you'll ever see in film history, and that all started here in Final Destination 2. But if you want to pick one individual scene, I have a couple. I really like the scene when the guy who wins the lotto, and, you know, he falls out of his... You know, he goes down his fire escape, he thinks he survived, and then the thing goes right through, like the spike goes right through his eye. That is brutal. I look away every single time. Uh, the death in the dentist office uh, with the birds and everything, that's another one that's really scary. Um, and really uncomfortable. Honestly, Final Destination 2 is probably the best in the franchise, in my opinion. A lot of the death scenes are great. Um, but some of them are silly, like the one girl complaining about how loud the jackhammer is while they're trying to get her out of the car. And, you know, then... He does it again. The airbag goes off, and then we see that the back of the tree goes through her head. That's brutal as well. So Final Destination 2 is probably the most brutal in the entire franchise. If I had to pick, though, I still want to pick the opening scene because, I mean, death is the killer, and death chose to kill all of them that day. They just got around it. And Leprechaun 3. So I don't really remember Leprechaun 3, uh, so I'm not going to answer that one. I have to do a full revisit of the Leprechaun franchise. Uh, those were definitely blockbuster rentals for me that I haven't revisited in a long time, except for the first one, just because of Jennifer Aniston. And it's the original. I wanted to see if I liked it. Uh, I did see the WWE Films version with Hornswoggle, and I do not remember liking that. Good casting, I guess, but I don't remember liking that movie. Uh, the Leprechaun series, I feel like, has always been taken not that seriously. And they don't even take themselves seriously, but they are fun movies. And, you know, if you want something to watch in the spring as far as horror films go, you can do worse than watching the Leprechaun films in March. So maybe I'll revisit those then. And then Friday the 13th, Part 4, I have to go with Crispin Glover's death scene. First of all, I was hoping he would die throughout the entire movie after he did that dance. But then, you know, he's in the kitchen, he's talking about a corkscrew, and then, of course, what happens? He gets, I believe, a corkscrew through the head. So I'm going to go through, I'm going to go with his death scene. Obviously, it's like a prosthetic, uh, it's not his head that's getting destroyed, but whoever, I think it was Tom Savini, actually, did these special effects on the Friday the 13th Part 4 is the final chapter. That was supposed to be the end of it, then we got a new beginning, and then, obviously, we get Jason Lives, which is the best in the franchise, and that's when we get our first glimpse of zombie Jason, but... The final chapter is a really damn good, enjoyable film. That's really where we get Tommy Jarvis the first time, and that really would become the main, I guess, antagonist to Jason, if Jason's the protagonist. I mean, or you flip-flop him. I don't know how you look at these films. I feel like we're all rooting for Jason at the end of the day. We want to see Jason just lay out body after body, and he sure goes on a killing spree in a lot of these movies, and the final chapter is no different. And then the, uh... Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2003. I have to go with the suicide scene at the very beginning of this movie that really sets everything off, mainly because I didn't expect that. I bought this movie on DVD in 2003. I think I was 11 years old, so maybe it was 2004, so maybe I was 12. Either way, I did not expect that. And one thing about the Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2003, yes, the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre really captured that summer heat, but 2003, I think, even did it a little bit better, mainly because they put a filter over the camera, but everybody looks sweaty and disgusting. 
and like when she fires that bullet through her head and kills herself, you can almost smell the dead body rotting in the back of that van just because of all the flies flying around, and you just know that Texas summer heat, that humidity, it's fucking disgusting, and you just know that you could smell it in your nose. It is gross, and that movie captured that perfectly, and 2003's Texas Chainsaw Massacre, I personally like more than the original. I know that's a sin, I know that, but I gotta, I gotta tell you my truth, and that's my feelings on the matter. I like that movie. I'm not a big Texas Chainsaw Massacre guy as it is. I am excited to play the new Texas Chainsaw Massacre game that is on Game Pass right now. Um, me and Matt are actually, at the time of this recording, we're gonna play that tonight. I'm um, looking forward to it, even though at AEW, somehow, <laughs> Leatherface came out. And if you guys were watching wrestling back in the early 90s, I was, you know, born in the early 90s, so I only saw this in replays, but a RoboCop was out of WCW show in the early 90s to help Sting win the world title. Well, this week, to help Jeff Hardy, I believe it was, we had Leatherface come out, which makes no sense. Leatherface is a serial killer. He's a murderer. Wrestlers don't kill each other. They threaten to. They break a lot of laws, but they do not kill each other, and Leatherface was out there to just murder motherfuckers this week. He's got his suit on. He's flipping the chainsaw around. I don't know what they were thinking. I get it. It's tied into the game. It's an ad, but my God, that's taking wrestling a little too far. Wrestling's supposed to be silly as as it is you know think about it it's like i'm gonna i'm gonna fight you at the pay-per-view in four weeks not now right now we're just gonna cut promos on each other and then we'll pick this back up next monday but this is a little ridiculous you're going too far when we start crossing horror genre and wrestling i don't know if it works but either way or i fucking laughed i thought it was still pretty damn funny i'm not gonna sit here and lie to you guys and then the last one is freddy versus jason you have to go with the iconic bed scene i actually was watching a behind the scenes about how they did that this week and i think you know that's iconic how jason just folds up the bed to murder that kid that is iconic. Jason, Freddy vs. Jason is 20 years old this year, if you can believe that. I was shocked to find that out. I can't believe how old I am. I remember when that movie came out. I saw it in theaters. I had that poster on my wall for like seven years. I loved Freddy vs. Jason when it came out. I mean, it's very 2003 when you rewatch it. You could just see all the tropes of the time. But it's still, for a crossover film, I don't think we could have done better than that. I really, you know, in worse hands, that could have been really mishandled and i expected that movie to be mishandled they've been teasing it for so long it was so hyped and for the most part it lived up to it i love freddy versus jason happy birthday freddy versus jason and then our last question of the week and it's also from kevin allen he asked how would you rank the following franchises he asked lord of the rings halloween the dark knight trilogy planet of the apes robocop jurassic park back to the future star wars john wick and lethal weapon i also made a list out of these now we're ranking the entire franchises or trilogies, so you know you got to take into account that some films are worse than others, even if they have classic films in there. You know the whole thing. We're looking at it as a whole, and some of these have some real duds that I can't put any lower. So I'll start from the bottom and work my way up. At the very bottom, I have RoboCop because RoboCop, the 1987 RoboCop, is one of my top ten favorite films ever made. Paul Verhoeven's masterpiece. Peter Weller starring, Nancy Allen starring, Kurtwood Smith. I love him in that movie. It's still my favorite movie role for him, and he's, you know, that's Red Foreman. I still love him in RoboCop more. One of the best 80s villains out there. Can you fly, Bobby? Love that movie. RoboCop 2 and 3 are awful, and the remake from, I believe, 2014 is just as bad. In my opinion, I think you should have stopped the RoboCop 1. I think you missed the point of what RoboCop was. You know, that's a very 
self-aware satire film from 1987, really commenting on a lot more than what people realize. Yes, you can just watch it for a fun 80s action sci-fi film, but there's so many more layers to it, and 2 and 3 just missed the mark on that. They tried with the 2014 one, but you don't remake a classic. That was one I actually remember, I remember at the time being personally offended by that they were making. Now, I've gotten older. I'm not offended that they tried. I just still don't like the movie, even though I believe Michael Keaton and Samuel Jackson are in and I love both of them, but still not a good movie. And second from last, I got Jurassic Park, mainly because Jurassic Park, just like Robocop, should have stopped with Jurassic Park. Uh, I do like Jurassic World, and uh, those are the, really the only two movies in the entire franchise I like. The Lost World of Jurassic Park is atrocious, and if Jurassic World Dominion didn't come out, it would have been the worst in the entire franchise. Fallen Kingdom isn't any better. It's got some cheesy moments that I laugh at, but really it's just Jurassic Park, and then way, way down we get Jurassic World, and then everything else after that is just complete and utter garbage. So I do not like the Jurassic Park franchise. You're just trying to piggyback on an all-time classic, because Jurassic Park really has stood the test of time, and happy 30 years to Jurassic Park! And just above that, I got back to the future trilogy. Mainly, again, just because, just like a lot of these other ones at the bottom, the original's a stone-cold classic, but you should have stopped with one. Now, there are a lot of people out there who like Back to the Future 2. Matt, that scumbag, actually thinks Back to the Future 2 is better than the first Back to the Future film, which I have no idea how anyone could believe that. Uh, Back to the Future 3 is not that bad of a movie, but it's just very generic, in my opinion. I like what they did. I have some, there's some heartwarming moments in it. Uh, I think Mary Stuhlbarg is in that, and she's great. You love her and Christopher Lloyd's relationship. Obviously, Michael J. Fox is still great. But the problem is, is that those two films, which were filmed back-to-back, by the way, just do not compare to the original Back to the Future film. They just don't get that close. Back to the Future is one of the greatest films of the 80s. I actually might review the entire trilogy on 4K before the summer's over, because I think those are summer staples. Um, I just uh, The only reason I haven't is I'm just really not looking forward to revisiting Back to the Future 2 and 3. I want to watch Back to the Future. I love that movie. I think that's a classic of the 80s, but 2 and 3 just don't do it for me. And then just above that, I have Planet of the Apes. Now, if we were just talking about the original Planet of the Apes and the Planet of the Apes trilogy that came out, you know, Rise of the Planet of the Apes, Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, the War of the Planet of the Apes, the Matt Reeves trilogy... I would definitely put this way higher, but we also have to talk about the sequels to the original Planet of the Apes from the 1970s, which are a real mixed bag. Uh, Some are good. They're all pretty entertaining. It's also fun to go back and watch these 1970s action sci-fi films and see what they were really doing back then, because it's just so different from what they did in the 80s and 90s. You know, they just had less money, and they didn't have the effects that they would have in the 80s, so a lot of these practical effects can look bad, but really, for the most part, they do stand out, and they are pretty damn impressive. The films themselves, though, some are just really bad, so I can't put this any higher just because of the sequels to the original Planet of the Apes movie, but you could argue that there's at least three classics in this entire Planet of the Apes franchise. The first one, the original one from the 60s, is still obviously the best, just because of that twist ending. And then just above that, I have Lord of the Rings. Now, Lord of the Rings could be higher, but if you're talking about the entire franchise, 
So I'm looking at the Lord of the Rings trilogy, and I'm looking at the Hobbit trilogy. Uh, the Hobbit trilogy, I don't really enjoy. I've only seen them once. I remember being just criminally bored. Uh, they stretched those movies out for no reason. I think you could have got two great movies instead of three generic and kind of plain movies, in my opinion. They were actually playing around with the frame rate back then, which I did like. I remember people didn't like that. I thought it looked cool. I wish that they would have done more of that. Peter Jackson was trying out new technology. I always liked that. It, you know, it makes it stand out and feel different. That's not one of my complaints. I just thought that it was kind of, I just thought they were boring. And in comparison to the original three Lord of the Rings movies, which are classics, some of the best films ever made i watched those movies earlier this year for the review on the channel and i'm dying to go back and watch them again i just don't have time it took me a week to watch them last time just because i want to watch the extended cuts but i don't have the time to sit down and do it again i really wish i could but unfortunately just don't have the time and then just above that you got the halloween franchise and the halloween franchise is another one that is just fantastic but there's a lot of misses in there you know they are very inconsistent you got classics like hollow like the first three halloween movies are all great the original is obviously one of the best horror films ever two's good season of witch is my favorite halloween four is awesome five is all right six is terrible h2o is awesome resurrection is terrible the Rob Zombie movies, I personally don't like them, but I know people who do. And then we get the David Gordon Green trilogy, which really was doing so good. You were doing so good with Halloween 2018 and Halloween Kills. And then, my God, you shit the bed so bad with Halloween Ends. That movie is dog shit. I cannot believe how bad that movie is. And it really still disappoints me this day. I was talking to Matt this week, and he said he had never been more let down by a film than he was with Halloween Ends. And I don't blame him. Just above that is John Wick. I can't put it any higher yet just because it's still new, still too new and still fresh in my mind. And I think John Wick 1 and John Wick 4 are the two best of the franchise. 2 and 3, uh, 2 is good. But 3, I really feel like other than, once we get past the opening like third of the movie and we head out to the desert, the movie kind of falters a bit. And I really feel like it's kind of deflated in the third act. So I kind of can't put it higher just because I think John Wick 3, once we've gotten enough time away from it, we can look at, that's kind of a flawed film, but it's still great. I mean, it's still like a 7 out of 10 action film. Uh, just above that, I got Lethal Weapon. I love all four films in this franchise. Lethal Weapon 1 is a classic I watch every single Christmas. And then, of course, it sends me down a rabbit hole where I have to watch Lethal Weapon 2 and 3. And then every like three or four years, I'll watch Lethal Weapon 4. I still enjoy Lethal Weapon 4. I grew up really loving that movie. That's really where we first discovered Jet Li. Chris Rock is great in that movie. You get some good laughs in that film. Um, obviously, Mel Gibson and Danny Glover are a little bit older. They're not at their peak there. But, you know, you get some great scenes, the highway scene. So I really loved Lethal Weapon four films. And then obviously at the top, I have the Dark Knight trilogy. This is one of the closest we've come to completing almost a perfect trilogy. I think Batman Begins is the best. Then we go down a little bit with the Dark Knight. And then the Dark Knight Rises, I enjoy it a little more each time I watch it. But I still don't love that movie. It still has a lot of plot holes that it's just too hard for me to look past but still a great film. So anyway, guys, I hope you guys enjoyed this week's show. That's my last question. That's the last question from Kevin L. Everyone who sent questions in this week, I really, really appreciate it. Thank you all so much. If you want to leave some questions for next week's show, make sure you do that in the comments section or look for the post that comes out on Wednesday where I will ask you guys to leave questions for this week's show. And while you guys are down there leaving your questions and comments about this week's show, make sure you like this video and subscribe to the channel. And if you're listening to this on podcast form, make sure you head over to YouTube, subscribe, like the video, and leave your questions for next week's show. I can answer them here on air. And anyway, guys, after you're done doing all of that, I just want you guys to get out into the streets and tell your friends about us and then enjoy your week. We'll be seeing you around. <laughs>